I think you know, it's, it's funny because the last round we raised was 486 million euro. So a pretty, pretty large amount. And the first round we raised was 1.6 million euro. And uh, the level of stress and the level of uncertainty was not much higher for the last round versus, you know, the first round. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fintech Leaders, a weekly podcast where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa, and I'm a co-founder of Gilgamesh Ventures, a venture capital firm that backs early-stage fintech entrepreneurs in the U.S., Canada, and Latin America. If you enjoyed this conversation, I encourage you to share it and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows so more people can learn about fintech leaders. Today, we have a very special episode. I sit down with Alex Prode, CEO and co-founder of Conto, one of the largest fintechs in Europe that helps small and mid-sized businesses simplify their everyday banking and offers a wide range of digital financial services. Founded in 2017, Conto now serves over 350,000 clients in France, Italy, Spain, and Germany, and has raised close to $700 million from Valar, DST, Hedo Sofia, Inside, KKR, and many more. In this episode, we discuss why focusing on three key areas unlocked Conto success, and what were those areas? Challenges of scaling Conto to over 1,000 employees and more than 350,000 customers and how they plan to reach over a million clients, the power of having a strong co-founder, fundraising lessons, Europe's fascinating fintech opportunity, and just a lot more. Alex, welcome to Fintech Leaders. How's it going today? Where, where are you calling us from? Great. I'm calling from my uh, office in Paris. You can see a bit of the terrace roofs and sky here. Nice. Well, uh, calling you from New York City, but I, I do love Paris. So next time I'm, I'm around, I'll let you know. Alex, let's just jump right into it. You know, your your story and Conto story is, is quite interesting. But before we get into Conto, maybe tell us about you, right? Tell us, you know, about your background. Did you ever envision yourself becoming a, an entrepreneur? Well, I uh, initially started at, let's say, very other end of the uh, spectrum, meaning that I was, after my business school, I went to investment banking, consulting, so not the most, let's say, entrepreneurial roles or, or jobs, uh, but very nice experiences to learn about lots of industries, learn from you know great people in a very international environment. I worked for a couple of years at McKinsey after you know graduating from business school in, in, in France. Then I went for my MBA in Singapore at INSEAD, met also some very, you know, international diverse, you know, crowd. And at INSEAD also met quite a lot of people who, uh, who uh, were entrepreneurs or were thinking of starting their companies. And that I also already had that in mind, but that also kind of pushed me to think of that even more. And so after that, I started having one foot, let's say, in the entrepreneurial world, worked for about 18 months with Rocket Internet, 
one of the European, you know, um, quite famous investors, incubator, where I, when I uh, launched a company similar to Airbnb in Europe that was called Wimdu. At the time I was, I started and I managed the, the team here in France. We had about 30 to 40 people. And then, so I had to hire, you know, those 40 people. And then kind of as a first time manager, it was of course a great, great experience. Did that for about a year and a half. And then I thought I, I wanted to have the, the second foot in that entrepreneurial world and really be an entrepreneur, not just, a, you know, an employee in a tech environment, let's say. And I, uh, I went to a birthday party and I uh, kind of bumped into Steve, my uh, co-founder at Conto, who I had known from, you know, from the days in, in high school. So we've known each other for now, maybe 20 or 20, 25 years now. And so at that birthday party, I told him, hey, what's up? I'm thinking of starting my company. Well, you know, what, what, what's you on, 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 your, on your end? And he said, oh, that's funny. I was at Groupon, but I'm thinking of leaving Groupon to also start my company in the next few months. And that was, you know, a birthday party with, you know, music and so on. So it was not the best place to talk about, you know, this business idea. So we said, oh, well, let's, let's have a coffee or lunch in the next few days. And we had, you know, the coffee or lunch and then another coffee or lunch a couple of days later. And at the very beginning, we thought of, you know, helping each other refine each of our ideas. And after a couple of weeks, we said, well, why don't we try to do something together? And so that was in 2013, so exactly 10 years ago. And actually, the, the first thing we did together was a company called Smoke.io. As the, as the name can suggest, it was around vaping and around the, uh, smart electronic cigarettes that was basically connected to a smartphone. And it was very similar to a Fitbit or Jawbone or this kind of, you know, connected products that help you for your, you know, physical activity or training. And, and with Smoke.io, we wanted to have a, a smart coach for smoking secession. And so we did that for about two years in 2015, end of 2015, beginning of 2016, the company was acquired by a, a Fortune 500 company. We uh, were uh, happy and lucky to make a bit of money with that exit. And so we quickly said, okay, that, that was a very nice adventure, but we want to do something you know, bigger. Also, we're very happy to do to, know, to work again together with Steve. And so we created Conto. And the very reason we created Conto is precisely because we had suffered ourselves the pain of you know, dealing with traditional banks, traditional accounting software, and, and the traditional way, let's say, of managing you know, business finances. And so with Conto, we've, we've really uh, built you know, a, a solution by entrepreneur for entrepreneurs and then designing the different features and services we would have loved to have in the first place when we, when we built our first company together, so Smoke.io. So that's you know quick uh, recap of the last couple of uh, years, basically. Love it. Love it. You, you mentioned that you're your co-founder's former company, Groupon, of course, a great alumni base of entrepreneurs coming out of Groupon. And then for you, Rocket Internet, also like amazing alumni base. What was it about like Rocket Internet that really sparked so much innovation? You know, just thinking of your experience. I think Rocket Internet was very much a great catalyzer of, in Europe, especially of taking some profiles, and I'm, I'm a very good example of it, taking some profiles out of the, let's say, traditional investment banking and consulting, you know, backgrounds 
and showing them that there was uh, there was another way, let's say, or there were like other options. And so, you know, taking these profiles or these people that were, you know, hardworking, usually, you know, smart and, and really willing to, you know, or let's say okay to work hard. But, uh, you know, instead of working hard in a consulting environment or investment banking environments, going or helping them to move to the tech and entrepreneurial environments. And the way they've done that is really to invest in teams where, you know, they would give them the idea, they would give them the funds, and they would give them a salary. And they would say, okay, you get, you know, five, 10% of the company, whatever the person, but like, of course, not exactly as a founder that we would start from scratch. But the, 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 the flip side of that is you would also get a salary. So like in terms of, you know, risk reward is kind of halfway in a way between, you know, being an employee and being a full entrepreneur. That's why I was saying earlier, you know, putting one first foot into the entrepreneurial world. And I think they've helped the transition from, let's say, quite risk averse, you know, environment to, you know, very risk taking environment, which is entrepreneurship by, you know, helping that, that transition. And they've done that, you know, across Europe, very much starting in Berlin, where Rocket Internet was based. But this really happened in, you know, in France, in Italy, in, you know, mainly those in those markets. And also that it's, you know, similar stuff in, in Africa with Jumia. And so they've really evangelized, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. And they, they, they didn't do it, you know, alone. And I think in France, there were lots of other things help. Also the, you know, the, the, the French tech and like the, 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 you know, the government measures to boost, you know, tech and startups overall. So there are different things happening at the same time. But I think Rocket Internet really helped on that front. And of course, also some other usually American tech companies spreading in Europe also helped. So Groupon, as you were mentioning, was, you know, where, where Steve spent some time. But, you know, all the very successful tech companies from the last, you know, 10, 15 years, like Airbnb and other, uh, really also uh, did that. Quite a lot of people that spent some time at Airbnb then, you know, so the marketplace model and sort of, I'm going to do the Airbnb for, you know, something else. That also happened quite a lot everywhere in the world, but but also very much in Europe and in France. Let's talk about Conto, Alex. So you you mentioned you, you decided to build a company by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. So has your original vision for Conto adjusted or shifted now, you know, eight years or so down the line? Or is it pretty similar to what you had in mind? Yeah, I, I may disappoint you, but it's very similar to what we had in mind. So we, hadn't, we haven't really pivoted or, or adjusted too much the, the idea of the business. It's usually a bit scary even when I take, you know, the, the, the first slide deck we had probably six, seven years ago. And what we have today in terms of, you know, products, features, pricing, it's very, very aligned. Of course, some things have, have uh, changed, but it's still very aligned with the, the initial vision we had. And yeah, and I think it's very much linked to the fact that we we really started from the pains we, we had ourselves. And unfortunately, let's say for small businesses, our, our pains are very widespread across, you know, small and medium businesses in Europe. So you know, dealing with product that is not really working well for support that is not really picking up on the weekends, integrations with other tools like accounting tools, accounting services that are not really, you know, working properly. 
all these things that we uh, experienced, you know, six, seven years ago are still very much true across Europe. And so that pain was, you know, definitely there seven years ago. It's still here with the traditional financial services. And that's why we're, you know, growing uh, very nicely across Europe. So how do you define, how do you define a, a small and medium-sized enterprise? Because we can be talking about just a single person enterprise to much larger companies. How do you guys look at that universe? Yeah, that's a good question. So the, let's say theoretical or the technical definition of a small and medium business in Europe is between one and 249 employees or 250. And so we're really targeting that whole range. We initially started with the, you know, the smaller ones just because they usually need, you know, simpler products. So when you get started, it's easier to get, you know, to, to focus on the simple service. But the very nice thing is, is that we've been growing with our clients. So we have a lot of clients that started, you know, three, four, five years ago. Uh, they had maybe two or three employees, maybe two or three founders. And then they started hiring, you know, employees and, they said, oh, it's great. Conto is great for three. But when I have 10 employees, I would need a manager level or a manager, you know, custom permission. And, and so we added that. Or Conto is great for that integration. But now I need an integration with this other accounting software, which is usually used uh, by larger companies. And so we've, you know, we've built also the product for our clients that we're growing. And so that's also how we, we've been able to now address, you know, that whole range. You can also see that in our, you know, in our price plans. When we launched, we only had one price plan, like 90 euros uh, a month. And now we have six price plans up until 249 euros. So obviously for larger, you know, larger teams, larger companies. And so we really uh, have clients in all these segments, also across all the industries where we started very much, you know, with some startups, tech companies. For instance, in, in, in Paris, there is this huge incubator called Station F, uh, probably 25 or 30% of Station F startups are Conto clients. So of course, we're very represented there, but we also have a lot of you know, clients in, in traditional industries like construction industry, transportation. I mean, we have 350,000 clients now, and unfortunately, there are not 350,000 startups in, in, in Europe. So yeah, we definitely are you know, much more mainstream now than only the you know, the, the business banking for startups, basically. So it's interesting because oftentimes when, when you talk to a fintech company, they are addressing, of course, the, the long tail of customers that maybe the large incumbents are not addressing. But the question is always, how do you keep them as those customers graduate in size? And, and for you, it's been by building the features and products that they need as they grow. What are the most popular features today that, that your customers use? So the base, which is around current accounts, transfers, cards, you know, direct debits and so on is, is really used by everyone or almost everyone. And then depending on the size and also on the industry and some other uh, characteristics, but usually for the smaller ones, they're very much using also the, the invoicing tool and a few things around invoicing. So it, it being able to issue invoices nicely, send them to your clients, get paid very easily. That's very popular. And the second example is for larger teams, all tools around 
expenses management or spend management, giving the right cards, the right tools, the right limits, the right controls for your teams, depending on, you know, whether you're a manager, you're an employee, whether you're traveling a lot or not, whether you're like an employee and in the office and you just need a virtual card, for instance, or whether you're on the ground and need a, you know, a physical card. So that's, you know, team expenses management parts is by definition very popular with the, with larger companies. And so these are the types of features that are very much used. And then last example is around accounting integrations. That's or, or accounting, you know, bookkeeping and accounting integrations. That's important for everyone because actually all companies, whatever the size, need to work on these things. But the type of integrations that the type of features needed is a bit different. If you're like a very small business, usually you may want to just, you know, uh, synchronize with the API to your bookkeeping uh, or accounting software. If you have a larger team or a larger company, you may want to have your accountant have a read-only access to your account so we can do that very easily on Conto or have some more sophisticated labeling options for each transaction depending on you know what category it is, what employee it is, what type of spend it is. So it's, it's very granular. You can e- either have like everything, let's say, you know, automatic. If you're like a small company, if you have a larger company, you want to have more customized stuff, you can also do that. It takes a bit of time to set up, but usually in the larger teams, you have a finance team that is actually looking for this kind of customization level. It sounds like you've taken the product-led growth approach. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, that's very accurate. Almost 100% of our, you know, acquisition is inbound. So, and, and, 80, 90% of those clients who open an account with us do not talk to anyone before opening the account. So it's very much indeed linked to the product, to the features. Of course, we do some, you know, CRM. And if you, you know, try to sign up and then you leave, of course, you'll get a follow-up email and so on. But it's very much product-led growth. And we have a small part of the growth, which is sales-led, and which is more, in, in a way, even an option for clients. You know, either you land on our website and you want to do everything yourself and you can you can definitely do it. Or if you have questions or if you want to help, you know, for your onboarding or setting up your account or whatever, you can request basically a meeting with our key account managers and they'll be, of course, super happy to, you know, to help you. But indeed, most of our growth so far has been product-led and I don't see any reason why this would change dramatically in the, you know, in the, the next few years. You know, what, what happens often, and I'm sure you've seen it, is... There's a company like Conto that's very innovative and is challenging the market. And that puts pressure on incumbents to also try to step up their game. How have you seen the market react, especially as it comes to incumbents? And and do you think that Conto's features have elevated the market as a whole? Yes. I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, yes. Meaning that I think at the beginning, you know, like probably five, six years ago, incumbents were, you know, ignoring us. And then when you, you know, you, you grow and, and clients start really being very positive about the product. And now you see, you know, on Trustpilot or on the app stores, thousands of positive reviews, you know, 4.7, 4.8 star, you know, reviews for Conto on these, on these app stores and so on, you know, much, much higher than a lot of incumbents. I think that's, of course, definitely impacting, you know, what what's traditional financial services are doing, which is good because it's, you know, it, it, it pulls the market upwards. And of course, it's also a good reminder for us that, you know, we need to keep on improving the service, adding new, you know, new features and making 
life even easier for all these SMEs that we're, that we're serving. But, but definitely, we're starting to see some impacts of what we're doing for other, let's say, more traditional companies. So Koto started in France, France only, is that correct? Yeah, we started with, in France. We launched in 2017, so five and a half years ago, because we launched in July 2017. When we launched, we already had the idea that we would very quickly expand across Europe. So just to give you one idea, we launched by already having a bilingual service, French and English, even though 99% of our clients were French and were speaking French, we, we were already offering English just to be ready to further you know, expand and localize in the other languages. I don't really have the structure in the app and so on. Same, you know, for the website and for the, the brand, you know, we chose Conto, like a short name that would work well in the different European languages. And by the way, our domain name in, in initially was Conto.eu for, you know, Europe. And, and then we moved to Conto.com. But so we started in France, but we really already had in mind to be expanding quickly, you know, across Europe. And so about two years after launching in France, we launched in Germany, Italy, and Spain. And so we've been active in these markets for four, yeah, four and a half years. And about six months ago, we acquired our German equivalent or competitor called Penta to really go even faster in, in, in Germany. And so now we're number one as a challenger, a B2B uh, bank or challenger, you know, B2B uh, uh, business banking service in each of our four markets. So France, Italy, Spain, and Germany. And so this 350,000 clients I was mentioning earlier are indeed in, the, in one of these four markets. And how do you manage that? Because each one of these markets is independent, has their own set of regulations and, and all that. You know, is that one of your biggest challenges? Well, interestingly enough, I think that's one of the great benefits of first the European Union and second the Eurozone. So... We often see, and probably even more coming from the U.S., Europe as a very fragmented or, let's say, complicated you know, market or region. I think for financial services, the very nice thing is that the, the license can be you know, used, can be passported across the European Union. So in our case, we have a French license, a French payment institution license that can be passported automatically. There is no like additional process, basically, or almost no additional process to use that license across the European Union. The second thing is that because we're in the euro area, in, you know, in our four markets, there's you know, one currency, one payment system, the, the CIPA network and so on. So from a technical infrastructure and also regulatory perspective, it's almost like one market. And by comparison, from what I understand, I don't know the markets super well, but from what I understand from the US, in the US, it's actually almost the other way around. Like, Theoretically, it's one, you know, I mean, it's one country, obviously, but each state has its own regulatory body for financial institutions. So by some aspect, it's even harder to, you know, go from one state to the other in the U.S. than it is for, you know, European financial services. I guess this is a bit exaggerated, but at least for us in Europe, that was very much a nice uh, way to grow within Europe. And that's also why we didn't go to the U.K., because Brexit happened, but also because, you know, different currency, different payment system. So it doesn't make it very synergetic to go to the UK for us. Yeah, I was going to save this question for later, but since we're talking about Europe and then fintech, 
did you ever, because I, I know a lot of successful French or European founders in the U.S. Did you ever consider building in the U.S.? Because you, you've been always in Europe and then obviously it's worked out. But there was a point in time where there was this notion that if you're an ambitious entrepreneur from Europe, you got to do it in the U.S. Clearly, that's not the case now. But did you ever consider this? No, I mean, I think there, I think there are two things. Like, so no, uh, clearly for for Conto, no. But I think there are two different aspects which are linked. But let's say the signaling of going to the U.S. and the idea, also because there are lots of you know, a lot of the big investors are in the U.S. and so on. The Nasdaq is the biggest you know IPO venue for you know for tech in, in the world. So so there are lots of reasons to go to the U.S. that are like very psychological, if I may say. But also, a second point is that the U.S. is the biggest market in the world. So in general, depends, of course, on the product or service, but in general. And so if you're in the, you know, if, if, if you're in an industry, like an average industry that's, let's say, evenly distributed across the world, the U.S. is usually the largest market. And so being in the U.S. makes sense just from a, you know, from a market size perspective and addressable market perspective. In our case, we believe that the market is huge enough in Europe that you know we should focus on winning in Europe, being very big in Europe, and that we can build a multi-billion or multi-dozen billion, whatever the number is, like a huge company in Europe, and that we have already so much to do in Europe that we would actually defocus the company by going to other regions, so the U.S., but even going to you know Asia or Africa or Latam or whatever. So right now our our you know our playing field is really Europe, and never say never. So maybe uh, we'll have another chat in a couple of years' time, and and you know we'll announce that we go to the U.S. Fair enough, fair enough. And how about the the surrounding fintech ecosystem and in, in Paris and then France as a whole? How have you seen it evolve? Well, I think it's it's really evolved a lot. I think not only fintech, but tech in general. I think when we started Conto, so six, seven years ago, there were two unicorns in France. Now they are 28. So that's just one, you know, one example or one dimension. But for lots of other reasons and, and aspects, tech has really taken off in France. And now it's not just like, oh, you're, you know... You, you're working in tech because you don't know what to do or you're trying to do something, you know, cool or whatever. Like there are really like there's there's really a nice ecosystem with, you know, very good people that actually choose to go there, that, you know, start a company or join a company in in you know in the tech industry across lots of industries. So, you know, fintech, but also, you know, clean tech, lots of things, you know, where where you see also like a very positive impact of, you know, of tech. Lots of companies have been in the, in the tech industry have been at the forefront of boosting some diversity, equality and inclusion topics, for instance. And Conto was one of them. We were part of the first few companies in France that increased the paternity leave duration. That was, I think, one or, you know, maybe 12 or 18 months ago. And so we, we, we were also being much more mature and, and also, you know, taking on our, our responsibility to build really, let's say, better companies also for, you know, for the impact on society and not just for the revenue or EBDA numbers. And I think that's very much changing on, you know, on gender, 
balance. Also, we've been you know working a lot on that, moving from 34% women to 44 today, aiming at 50% by end of next year. And of course, at the same time, like growing a lot of the team, we have more than 1,000 employees today. So we are actually talking about, you know, hundreds of employees to move the needle. And yeah, so I think it's, um, I mean, tech is really becoming an important sector for, for lots of reasons. Yeah, during the pandemic, as you know, as in, in France, as in any other country, but like the world really moved online and lots of tools that were used by some people became used by almost everyone. And so you also you know, could see the, the, you know, the, the, the benefits of those tools and, and platforms for, you know, lots of people. So yeah, lots, lots is happening. I mean, last, last point is that it started also five, 10 years ago when the French government, you know, launched a couple of initiatives to really boost capital inflows in, into French companies, public support with the, you know, French public bank called the BPI France. Also, you know, business-friendly approach for investors. So, and it started before, you know, President Macron was elected. He probably also increased that by being quite welcoming to, you know, international investors uh, in the last couple of years. And Brexit might also have helped a bit because in a way, Brexit probably favored continental Europe a bit over the last couple of years. And so all these things combined really helped having a lot of international investors, but also international talent moving to continental Europe and to France and to Paris especially. So a lot of people that benefited from the French tech visa and that, you know, joined us and at the same time relocated to Paris or to France, which I think is very, very new and great news for us and for the ecosystem in general. Yeah. Last summer, I found myself in a number of tech and fintech events in Paris and the energy was just amazing. And, and so a growing ecosystem also comes with a growing funding environment when it comes to venture capital funding. But I imagine it was that that VC ecosystem was smaller and slimmer when Conto got started. Maybe tell us a bit about some of your fundraising lessons and challenges. Yeah, it's, it's a euphemism. So I think you know, it's, it's funny because the last round we raised was 486 million euro, so a pretty, pretty large amount. And the first round we raised was 1.6 million euro. And uh, the level of stress and the level of uncertainty was not much higher for the last round versus, you know, the first round we had. So, of course, lots of things changed in, in between. The, the company, probably, you know, myself and, and then my co-founder as well, Steve, and the market. But yeah, so to get back to your question... I think the main thing is to be, you know, to be raising money when you are ready and to be clear on, you know, what you're raising money for is the key and trying to make sure you manage and own the, the process and the timeline is, is very key. And I think it's depending on the context, depending on the, you know, the how sexy your company or business is, it can be, you know, easy or, or not so easy. But there's definitely a huge difference versus, you know, just taking some calls and saying yes, yes, and, you know, sharing some data and then praying for the investors to come back to you. You know, that happens to us a couple of times. And of course, that's not the best way to raise money. You know, if on the other hand, you know you want to raise 
X million euro, this is your plan, and you already know a couple of investors could be interested, and you tell them, look, I'm going to be raising money in April, uh, I want to raise 10 million, I want to work for six weeks on, you know, talking with a different number of parties, but at the end of the six weeks, I really want to make sure I'll take one of the offers, the best offer, or let's say the most interesting offer, and then move back to you know, being 100% focused on the operations and on building and growing my business. That's, of course, much better to do that. So you need to know that it's much better, but also you need to have the context and let's say the, you know, appetite, the investor appetites to, to make it happen. So it's, it depends a lot on the company, but, but also on the context and on the, on, on the investors. So there's no magic or no like super secret thing, but the the key is indeed to be able to manage the, the timeline and the process and not to do what investors would like you to do, basically. Alex, you mentioned that the team is over, over a thousand people. I mean, that's a whole army of folks, right? Yes, sir. And of course, you, you've had to learn management lessons along the way. What is the most challenging part of running a company with so many people? First, what's a bit, not that challenging, but a bit sad is that, of course, I don't know everyone anymore. <laughs> so, uh, you know, sometimes I'm on the lift or in the office and someone says, hey, Alex, and, you know, I don't really know who that person is. So it's, you know, that's normal when you have that large of a team, but that's sometimes I feel a bit sad that, you know, and I miss kind of the early days when you know exactly, you know, who is who and so on. But apart from that, well, I think that the tough thing is that my role, my job is also changing very much with that team that's growing. And obviously I've never managed a team of 1000 people and growing. And so, yeah, it's, it's like constantly trying to find the right people, but also the right processes and the right systems to make sure, you know, the right decisions are taken, the right initiatives are happening, the right, you know, objectives and everyone are, you know, is, is aligned on the objectives and the communication goes smoothly in the company, you know, like top down, bottoms up, but also like same level kind of, you know, between the different functions, different teams, also different countries or markets, you you know, lots of discussions around what should be done centrally, what should be done locally, a bit to your question earlier, and something that works really well, you know, at some point might be not the best option six, nine, 12 months later. So you constantly need to think a couple of quarters ahead for those tactical changes, maybe even a couple of years ahead for some other like strategic things. And so having kind of in your head at the same time, this kind of long-term vision, midterm and short-term, like how do we fix things for tomorrow or after tomorrow? And, you know, kind of zooming in or out on these things can be uh, challenging, but it's also what's, you know, what's super interesting and what's is, you know, very much energizing. So, uh, so yeah. No, it's fascinating stuff. And you mentioned having to, that your job is shifting and adjusting all the time, right? You've done this before. You you went from a company of, I don't know, 10, 15 people to a company of 100 and 500 and 1,000, and you've managed to level up. Are there any kind of tools and resources that you found for yourself that have helped you do that? Maybe surround yourself with with mentors or anything like that? So first, um, we've built that company together with my co-founder, Steve. So I think having a strong, you know, founding team is, is very key. And I think two is a, is a very good number. 
I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to say, you know, what would have happened if we we're like three co-founders or four co-founders, but I think two is, is a nice, uh, is a nice number. And for, you know, solo founders, I think it can be, it can be quite tough. So I think that's one key point. And the fact that we've, you know, now been working together with Steve for 10 years, uh, we really know, you know, each other pretty well and have, uh, different strengths and different, you know, psychologies, but are very much aligned on, you know, on what we want to do with Conto and how we, you know, and, and, and how we should work together to, to make that happen. But also we can, you know, challenge each other, give feedback and so on. And so that's also helping, I, I guess, each of us, you know, grow and, and improve. So that's number one. I think number two is we're also able with that, you know, 1000 plus team and the nice, you know, money we've raised and so on. We're also able to hire some really great people. So not that the people we started with were not great, but now even more because, you know, we're able to hire like, you know, great experts in their, you know, in their fields, whether it's, you know, functional, you know, great, I don't know, uh, finance people, great tech people, great fraud fighting people, whatever, but also great people for, you know, organization, communication around, you know, among the team, you know, business planning, initiatives, how to organize, you know, uh, company OKRs, you know, uh, objective and key results, whatever the topic, we're able to also have, you know, people that master some of these topics around us, which is great. And, and last point is indeed, it's an outside help or support or ideas. And there, I think, discussing with peers, having, you know, the right board members, but also investors in our, you know, among our investors, we have a couple of quite successful entrepreneurs. Uh, so whether it's, you know, Tavet Henricus, who uh, co-founded Wise, formerly known as TransferWise, or Ingo, who is CFO at uh, ADN. I mean, he actually was CFO at ADN. Now he was just promoted recently to co-CEO position at ADN. Guillaume Pouzaz, who is the founder and CEO at Checkout, is also a Conto investor. So, you know, around us, and then with us, we have a couple of very successful fintech, but also entrepreneurs in general. And so having, you know, these discussions with them around like, what did you do when you have that? You know, how did you approach that problem and so on are, are very nice, you know, sparring partners to discuss those topics. And it's not like I have, you know, one, you know, very identified key, you know, mentor, but more like having those different conversations around us is helping us, you know, navigate as best as we can. That's amazing. Alex, before I let you go, last question. What, and you're giving us hints of this, but, but what's next for Conto? Because it sounds like there's still a lot left to build. Yeah, well, you know, in a couple of numbers maybe, but 350,000 clients today. Our goal is to get 1 million, you know, SME clients in the next three years. Also, a turning profitable. That should happen, you know, even before that. But of course, that's quite uh, key, especially with the current environment. But that was also on our minds uh, independently. Probably further expanding across Europe. So, you know, we're present in these four markets today, France, Italy, Spain, and Germany. And I think we'll uh, further expand and keeping on growing the, the you know, the, the best team and a great place to work, you know, learn, grow, and, and also have some positive impact on society with the different topics I mentioned around, you know, DEI. And so these are like really big topics. We're putting even more resources and time and, and, and bandwidth on. And yeah, and I mentioned 1,000 employees today, probably doubling the team in the next couple of years. And then we'll see uh, IPO is not a buzzword today as it used to be a couple of years ago. 
but that might happen to us in a couple of years. We're definitely not in a rush. Now we're really focused on, you know, growing and we're lucky to have secured that nice Series D about a year ago. So we have the means to keep on, you know, developing the company, uh, making sure we keep on also developing the, the, the service and make our, you know, clients even more fan of Conto. Well, Alex, thank you for an inspiring conversation. And I'm sure you've also inspired a lot of fintech founders in, in Europe and beyond. So thank you. And I'm sure people are going to love this interview. Thanks, Miguel. Very nice being with you. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this great episode with Alex Pro, CEO and co-founder of Conto. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. If you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, please just drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off, till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armas.